So, so we have, it's a funny story. So we have, not my story, the one Jerry just told. We, we have a Ancestry.com, I think it is, family account. And, and it is open and you do get these weird alerts of like, there's a partial match of a picture that could be somebody related to you. And that's, but I haven't dug into it. I mean, I have a friend who did a 23andMe. You know, you do that swab and the DNA comes back and I think they're part bull terrier or something, something weird. And like, I don't even, I don't, yeah. And you wonder if any of it's even true or not, but do you guys both have a, a like a heritage site online or something? Uh, I do. How about you, Ian? Yeah, my, my father and mother dug quite deep into uh, the the family tree. So we definitely definitely have a, a long clan, which is sort of, it's called the Austin. So that's my mother's side of the family. We, we go back to 1700s. Uh, my father traced us back to 1700s on a, a small cemetery in an island off the coast of Scotland. So so I have a, I have a sense of where we come from, um, mm. but I've never done the DNA test. I think that would be I, I might come out quite linear in terms of, you know, fully Scandinavian and a little bit of Scots in there. So, yeah, it's, I mean, all that's pretty cool. I just, I wonder if we get to a certain age where it's interesting to us. Like, it's just not interesting until a certain point, because it does seem like all the people in my family are interested are of a particular demographic. Yeah. No, I, I think you're onto something there, Chris. Like, it, it got on my brother's radar after he, he was like mid 40s, like, oh, I wonder where I come from. And so, it, it could be, could be. All right, were you guys, uh, you ready to get going? Sure. All right, well, here we go. Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here. everybody welcome 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 back to the recruiting community podcast i am shaggy and i have with me uh my my partner in crime fred or would you be shaggy would you be shaggy or would i be fred oh i i look a little shaggier we can do a scooby you could be the scooby guy scooby doo scooby dooby doo uh anyway so welcome back to recruiting community podcast if you haven't figured it out already uh we have a little bit of fun with this uh we have no sponsors uh, there is no intent here other than to have some fun conversations and share those. So you can be sure that when we have somebody on the show, it's because we're really interested in what they have to say. And we think you might be too. Uh, if you're interested in uh, getting invited onto the show or, or having us pull somebody into the show that you know, uh, just let us know. You can send us an email, info at cxr.works. Uh, or if you're already connected to Jerry or to myself, obviously you can reach out on LinkedIn. We're pretty good about that. Uh, if you haven't figured it all out already, we're live today. We are streaming where are we streaming? We're streaming on the YouTube. We're streaming on the Facebook. We're streaming on LinkedIn. We're streaming on the Twitter or the X or the whatever the hell um, that weirdo is calling it today. Uh, but you can you can figure all of that out. Uh, but if you are in a place where there is a chat window, and usually that's just LinkedIn, add a question in there. Tell us hello. Put your LinkedIn uh, profile in. We'll do our best to make sure that we connect with you. And if we miss you uh, during the live podcast, we'll make sure that we, we circle back and answer those questions. We do a pretty good job of that. Uh, let's see. Chat on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. So, Jerry, let's talk about we got a big week. Um, we got a lot of events going on, uh, finishing out August. August is a big month for us. Uh, believe it or not, we've got a lecture series. We do these monthly CXR lectures, and I think we've got a link. Hold on. I'll throw this up. CXR.works slash events. Isn't that fancy? 
Uh, but August 24th, we've got Bernice Fellertim, who is a culture uh, and inclusion strategist uh, and renowned team performance coach. Now, she's going to present a session on being an inclusive leader uh, at any level uh, within your organization. Jerry, you want to take a guess how many members of ours are registered and, and it's on their calendar to attend the lecture this Thursday? 37. 423. We have 423 members. It's crazy. So the online meetings uh, and certainly the leadership sessions have gotten quite popular. Certainly you're uh, with our members. So a couple of things, diversity, leadership, inclusion. I think those are going to be kind of the topics and the tags for that. So if you haven't checked it out, please do so. Uh, again, cxr.works slash events for those who are listening and not watching. Uh, we also have a good friend of ours, uh, Maya Huber, who is the CEO of Tadio, is going to do a, um, she's going to teach a workshop for us. Uh, competency-based recruiting. And that is the 30th that that's coming up. So if you aren't one of the 30 or so companies uh, that already have their teams that are registered to go ahead and attend that for some reason, or you can't make it, don't worry. We're of course going to have that out in the library the following week. Uh, the tags I would put on that would be candidate experience, operations, and sourcing. So did it miss anything? No. No, Jerry's on cruise control when I do the, the spiely for the, <laughs> he's like, yes, yes, whatever. Let's get to the conversation. All right. So why don't we? We've got a great guest today. Uh, here we go. It is Ian Cook, who's coming in uh, to us from, from Vizier. Ian, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, well, we're, we're happy to have you. we got a fun topic today. Let's, um, let's jump in really quick, Ian, for those who don't know you. Uh, want to give you the opportunity to kind of pitch a little bit about yourself and maybe explain uh, Vizier along the way there. So you give us sure. kind of the escalator pitch. The escalator pitch. I, I loved how you described that. It's it's pretty simple about myself. I spent I spent the early part of my career working in organizational development, like looking at how do we help organizations, the people in them, like thrive and perform at their best. And, and I ran into what I described as the CFO problem, where you'd have a program, you'd have an idea, you'd you'd know it was going to work you couldn't unleash the money from finance because they're like, mm, sounds interesting, but prove this is going to be good. So that put me back into the world of data and analysis and, and evidence. Like, how do I win even just stay equal in that debate with the CFO to to really connect to what, what's human about performance and, and uh, honor the human, but do it with evidence. And so fast forward 20 years, uh, two businesses later, um, I work with Vizier as an expert in that space and what what we do is we make that access to that evidence that in, information that means you know you're doing the right thing for your people strategy we make it easy and available and the, the mechanics are kind of simple you bring a whole bunch of data together you prepare it for use you run your analysis and you share it with people make decisions old world that was lots of bits and pieces a lot of people running about together yeah. New World Vizier basically automates that pipeline. We can get people up and answering their really key questions very fast, very effectively. Well, and I, scale. Yeah, and I, well, and I love your approach of like, I, I need some data to sort of get us there. But but Ian, so, so for the purpose of the next 20 minutes or so, can, can you kind of break down the difference between, and I think so, so talent intelligence and talent analytics for those who sure. might be watching? Sure, this is the long debate. Um, and I think it's, I think the way I look at this is uh, let's not need to categorize. What are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. We're trying to help the business make the best use of people. There's a component where you're looking inside your business. That's where people analytics effectively started. Like who do we need to keep? 
if we move person A into role B, is that going to be great? Like those are the decisions we make all day. A bit of evidence mm -hmm. makes those better. Like we know that now. That was an idea when I started. It's kind of 20 years on, we know that. Then you get into the, well, what if I don't have person A in my business? They're actually in the market around me. So you get a whole bunch of questions around the context for the business, a whole set of questions around the market, the price, availability. And that, is, for me, is where talent intelligence comes in, which is usually labor market, labor market costs, availability. Again, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Super nice guy uh, who, who's created talent intelligence community. Um, Toby Coleshaw. There you go. I just needed to play for time when it comes back. Um, Toby Coleshaw. And, and, you know, he's built out for large enterprises, uh, literally a talent intelligence group looking at wh where should be loca we lo located. Like mm -hmm. if I'm going to put an Amazon warehouse somewhere, I don't want to put it an hour's drive from my labor force because they won't come. And so the land might be, because again, things happen where, oh, the land is super cheap. Let's build it here. It's like, oh, we can't staff it. Like, oh, I wonder why it, it's two hours on a bus. It, you know, it's funny. I, I remember early, earlier in my career. So they were, when I was at AT&T, we were going to open these call centers, brand new call centers. And we had three different cities and they put me on a plane to go to these three. I had no idea what, what, what we were doing. All I knew was go, <laughs> go figure out if you could find talent to fill these call centers in these three cities. So let's just call that analog talent intelligence. Uh -huh. Like that was pre-digital kind of the way well, yeah, it was like, you don't have oh, to get on the plane. There's a bus stop. That's good. We can get people here. Like it was that. It was literally that level of can we fill the jobs here? Because it's pre Google Maps, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so that I mean, talent intelligence has been ongoing for a really long time. It's just now the data is scrapable and ubiquitous. So you don't have to go. You can grab it from the web and then process it. And then you're making big strategic decisions. And I think of it as a component of good people analytics. Like my way of describing talent analytics, people analytics, like using data about people to support business performance. Where does, the, where does competitive intelligence fall in that, on that dimension? Yeah. Brilliant question, Jerry. For, for me, that's in the, that's in the talent intelligence place. It's like I'm, who am I competing for, for my, well, right now, my gen AI prompt engineer, like what's Amazon paying them? What can I pay them? Where should I put my, where should I put my, my locations or should I, should I do that remote? Should I do that hybrid? Should I do that some other way? Like, yeah, I see, I see it as, um, kind of a dimension where the, the business kind of issues of where we should be physically, given our policies and practices. Um, on the other side, the kind of the people analytics is is really what's what's current and what's happening right now. And this competitive intelligence has to do to me with um, as we as we look at both ends of that spectrum, you know, who should we be looking at from a talent acquisition point of view? Something totally. like that. No, no, totally. And I don't, again, I don't, I see them as part of a, an overall family because there's no point in doing competitive intelligence if you're not on top of who you have. Like it, you, you got to have your house in order before that stuff makes any sense. Um, and again, the whole skills conversation, I was talking to folks who are based out in Carolina, in the Carolinas, and they basically said hybrids are given in the Carolinas because everybody out mm -hmm. there is doing hybrid. I can't, people won't apply for my job if I say it's five days in the office. And so that's the kind of competitive intelligence you're you're talking about, Jerry, is like comparing 
work work patterns, work offers, benefits, um, so that you know uh, how to get the talent you need. But I, I if would, you don't, don't don't know your inside, what's the point in looking outside? Well, Ian, I would think that that specific topic right now is just exploding from from the Intel standpoint, right? Because you got a lot of CEOs who are now saying, "Just kidding, we're we're going to need you back a little bit more than we thought we did." Uh, and then you have some are going, whoops, we're really sorry. Please stop quitting. Uh, we'll let you work remote. Like trying to figure yeah. that puzzle out. They're totally trying to figure that puzzle out. And, and I, I, you've probably heard me, Chris. This is like, just look at the evidence. So there's a guy called Nick Bloom from Stanford, regular poster on LinkedIn. And he's just going by the numbers. And it work hybrid for the portion of the population that hybrid is available. Hybrid with a kind of three-day core block has become the de facto. And because and again, I, I come back to the evidence because often HR has been roiled back and forth by what did my CEO read on the plane? What was the latest buzz article that they're, all the venture capitalists are passing around amongst each other? And so you get this completely ridiculous HR policy that is driven by somebody's passion as opposed to like they wouldn't make, well, sometimes they do make financial bets that way, but you know they rarely come out very well. So, like, why are we operating our businesses that way? But but uh, oh, go ahead, Jerry. I have a little. No, I was just I was just thinking, but there's so many unintended consequences that impact the evidence, if you will. So so when somebody comes up with oh well productivity goes down, I said yeah, if you got shitty management, you're gonna have you're gonna have really bad productivity if they do not know how to deal with remote workers on their team and fundamentally who's who's investing in teaching those managers how to how to manage in in a variety of different contexts so that they you know so that we can yeah. we can make the best productivity for everyone as well as make their lives better you know from a human I, I, point of view 100% Jerry but it just it's just easier to get upset because nobody liked our headline or or to manage or to build policy around what Wall Street wants us to think or the tech bro culture wants us to think or the like it's just easier that way right it is but it's not effective like, <laughs> it's a bit of an understatement right I, I, and i'm gonna you know I, I think like an investor i mean you, you, I, I worked way back in early in my career i worked with mckinsey's as a, a, a consulting so i was alongside mckinsey partners and they they dropped a bunch of wisdom. I learned so much. I, they learned more. I learned more from them than they learned from me. It was a it was a real bonus in my career. But one of them said, you know, uh, act like an owner and wait to get fired was one of their mantras. And so I've always operated in my business like, what would I do if I owned this? And you know, you have to be a little bit conscious that you don't. But at the same time, so we're like, well, I can't be wrong because. So and so at Wall Street said I should do this. Like you're you're abdicating your leadership responsibility if you operate that way. Yeah, well, there's way too many CEOs who don't get account get held accountable and don't get fired. So be a different. I, I think I think that's changing. Like back into this whole notion of talent intelligence, talent analytics, we've seen massive, massive interest from a lot of investment houses. We we have aggregation on the 25 million employee records that we have. We've got pay records for those 25 million people. There, we, we don't give away specific detail as in which employer is paying what. We have sure. strong controls over how we aggregate that up. But they want to know is like, is this pay escalation that's going on in the press actually coming through in the data? So, oh, I love that. So, so Ian, I guess I would ask you to 
for an example, right? So, so in what ways, I guess, are talent intelligence or talent analytics even sort of shaping recruiting strategies at big companies? So you, you're sitting in a chair and have sat in some chairs where you get to be part of that, right? Or you get, you get insight into that. Can you share a success story or maybe an example where, where something like those data-driven insights have actually made a significant difference in the strategy or in the role? Totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a great example because I think it's an inside and an outside. So it's a, an engineering company we work with. They run manufacturing plants kind of um, middle of America. And they understood that they needed to make work attractive to the women in their geography in order to actually have sufficient staffing. So they have the market intelligence. They have the understanding of like, it's a physical plan. I can't move it. I can't use people remotely like they have to touch the machine so i've got a population around my plant that is a certain shape so i've got to have women coming to work they looked at their internal process and they saw that resignation rates for women were super high and they're like well so they went to say why is that and so basically it was a shift timing it wasn't it wasn't the work experience it wasn't the work it wasn't the way they were managed it was literally i can't deal with my kids or my caregiving responsibilities and get to work so they went to the business and said, what if happens if we change the shift times? They're like, no, machines are running, but it's okay. Like the, the, the shift timing was literally just a hangover from like probably the, the, the Henry Ford tradition. Like just sure. we do it this way because we've done it this way. And so a good team with evidence, with the market and internal dynamics, an opens operations leader with a, you know, a, a, a collaborative relationship, they shift their dynamic. They have their resignation rate for women. And I love it because it brings women to work. It pays attention to getting the work done. It's based on evidence and it made the business successful. Yeah, it's it's the right energy towards the right output. But I mean, that it's a great example, but somebody had to overcome a challenge to implement. So, yeah. I mean, can you share a little bit like, like challenges that maybe orgs face when trying to implement TI yeah. or TA? I mean, and if you want, this is not a plug for Vizier, but I mean, if, if there is a way that you can share and we don't, we don't, have any of these questions set up in advance, just full disclosure, right? But if Vizier yeah, totally. helps clients sort of overcome those hurdles, like what are those? Because I love the story of this. I'm at my organization. We're a little bit of a shit show over here. I think yeah. data might fix that. How, how do I get a solution implemented? How, how do I get past hurdles to fix that? The first hurdle people hit often, and it's in their minds as opposed to reality, is like, oh, I don't think my data is good enough because they've been operating their HRIS. They haven't had good data management. They kind of go, well, I don't really know what's in my data. The, the truth is it only gets good through use. Um, and, and, I, and and again, we've seen it. We've seen the people who've tried to clean for cleaning sake and they're just, it gets messy faster than they can clean. Like it is literally trying to clean a, a, a stream of dirt. Like you can't do it. What happens when you use it? And so the, the key piece is being able to use it quickly, not having to go down the, the old fashioned route of big data warehouses and these sort of monster projects. Like, Nobody would build their own HIS these days. Like nobody would go out and say, oh, I, I can build Workday. Like nobody would do it. The traditional way has been that everybody built by hand their analytic stack. That is shifting. So again, our, our analytic stack basically allows you to run your data in, clean it, and start using the bits that are good enough in matters of weeks and months. And then the second piece in adoption, Chris, is the business then accepting that your data is right. And, and that, so that's where the choice of technology and the how you do it, like waiting two years to build something and then show it to the business. And they go, this isn't right. Like, Jane's missing. 
Whereas a technology like ours is like, oh, as you run it in, we find that Jane is missing, we fix it, and we before we give it to the business. So it's a very different mindset. It's more iterative. It's more like on use as you go, and then you build up in tiers. Let's get headcount right. Let's get resignations right. Let's get diversity right, and then you start to expand. So it it's a very different muscle for HR because they're often we do a program, we lift everything, we shift everything at once, whereas it's an agile process to build that analytics. You get a core, you expand, you expand, you expand, and then the value just grows. Yeah, and you clean it. So, ahead, so yeah, I was thinking, so as you were talking, so where where do you see the challenges over the next year or two years when, when we're talking about, you know, data that gets converted to analytics, that gets converted to inferences and intelligence, that gets converted to decisions? So where, where in this... This vast thing, do you see the biggest challenge uh, for the next couple of years? I think you nailed it, Jerry. Is um, you know, it, often people analytics. People analytics has been described as well. I've got a dashboard, and HR has a dashboard. Like we're, we're you know we're done. We, we've got a static set of data. The business can look at it. We're good. Really, what we're having to do with the world we're in with hybrid, far more tailored work experiences, where it's not one size fits all means that the manager, exactly as you described, both of you, that management interface mm. has to be better. And the evidence we have in the data can help it be better. But instead of it being a dashboard saying, please, madam or Mr. Manager, look at my dashboard, understand it and do something useful with it. I don't know what that is, but you know that's on you. It's actually targeting that information to the manager that says, you know, I'll use a customer example they know that their top talent gets kind of a little loose around the two-year mark. So they simply pipe to their managers, here are your people in the agitated window. You need to have career conversations with them. You need to make sure they've got a known path. You need to make sure they're anchored to the business. The data flows through. HR business partners know what it's about, know what they should do with it. The managers have the conversations. That's all recorded. So they've systematized good practice driven from evidence and so that, that again they're okay. one of our better customers but the field has to get there um, yeah we need to we need to upscale managers to manage and 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 get them out of hiring they should just figure out we should just figure out that they need to learn how to manage anybody we give them <laughs> pretty much yes there is i but i do want to pull it back a little bit because you said something that really resonated with me because I've taken on some data projects in my career. Jerry, you've been part of the candies since, since the inception and convincing organizations, right, to, to be part of or be measured or do that. You, you know, I think you're 100% right. A, bi a big stumbling block is people don't think their data is good enough or their processes are good enough to even start. And that, I think that's such a call out because it's just, well, it's just garbage. Like I'm not going to really have anything to do. And I think that probably stops a lot of organizations from really leaning in where they could make a difference. Yeah. and, and uh, Yes, totally, Chris. But it's it's at the point now where the leaders in the field have gone through that. Yeah. And we've got, we've got client organizations that are saving millions of dollars. We've got client organizations that are at presenting to the C-suite. They are direct reports to the CHRO and part of the strategy shaping for the business. You know, worrying that your data is not good enough, so you should do nothing. Like I don't, I personally don't get it. Like I just don't see how that world persists because somebody's going to walk down the corridor one day and kind of like, 
So these people over here, they're getting performance out of their data. What are we doing? It's like, well, I don't think it's good enough. It's like, so what are you doing? Like, yeah. you can't just ignore it. We've been ignoring it for about 10 years. So for me, it feels like we just, the, the time has passed where you can ignore that problem. And it's not as hard to fix as people think. Like it, 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 it can get played out as it's really hard, but it's, again, the technology is using AI, using a whole bunch of uh, known processes we automatically cleanse a whole bunch of stuff without people having to pour through lists of spreadsheets. So people's assumptions around what it takes to clean are not, again, if they haven't uh, understood what technology is allowing these days, they, they don't know how easy it is to actually yeah. process. Well, I think you have to start somewhere too. I mean, that's the other, it's, it will never get better just sitting by itself. Like you, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, it's like that messy cupboard in the house. It doesn't yeah. sort itself. So, so let me ask you, and I think Jerry sort of uh, started a little bit of this, but we, you know, we will typically ask folks like yourself to come in, like, what, what does it look like five years from now? Like, and maybe, maybe not even that far, maybe it's just three years, because we've got all of this AI, we've got all of this intelligence and machine learning and all the, like, how does this impact sort of the landscape of, yeah. uh, of talent analytics in, in three years, maybe five years? No, I, I, I would go with three years, Chris. Um, it's... It's de it's delivered to the manager, and it's delivered in the flow of, of work, mm. um, basically because the, the data is not data is not data for data's sake is meaningless. Data that shapes a decision, that drives an action, that nudges uh, an improvement in behavior or direction, is it makes it works. And so, what we're working on with our clients is is not more data, more dashboards. It's actually precision of the right data to the right person at the right time. Right. AI allows that interface to be more conversational. We, we've just released our, our um, Gen AI assistant called V. We're in beta with customers. There's a lot of complexities to it. It's not just lob the data in and see what the bot says. That's actually incredibly risky. If you're thinking of doing that, do not. You will be offside with all kinds of legislation. Like just do whatever the robots tell you to do. It'll be fine. Uh, you need to have protections in place. So no, but we're at that stage. So then if you think about the manager that Jerry's talking about, you know, it's explaining to them how to keep a key player or why they might want to have a career conversation or how to think about structuring pay um, to maximize the, the output for the team. And, yeah. and the leaders will be, it'll, it'll be the, the sort of the guidance system across the organization and it'll be driven from evidence I mean, it, it's happened in the customer world it's happened in the health world um it happens a bit in the finance world so again the leaders will be there in three years everybody else who knows but i recommend people start now because you've got a long way to catch up and you're touching on on the issues around transparency at different levels of the organization because one of the problems we see is that you know um at higher levels they they kind of hold on to some information that they should be pushing down. You know, I, as a recruiter, I would love before I go into an intake interview with a hiring manager who's just opened direct, I want to know how many people he's hired in that role uh, for the last five years and where are they now? I, I want to know to some degree an index of, of his or her ability to develop uh, and engage and keep uh, individuals and manage them over time. 
And, and fundamentally, if they don't, then I, I and my hiring uh, HR partner need to be a little bit more attuned to what I'm going to do in hiring someone that he that he won't burn out or she won't burn out, mm -hmm. whatever it is. You're actually hitting on one of my favorite stories from our, so we have a talent acquisition capability. We can, we can look at the funnel um, and more. And when we launched that with the first five or six clients, we were actually really surprised at how much the recruiters just looked at the HRS data and they were doing what you said, Jerry. It's like that person I hired, are they still with us? That person I hired, do they still work for the hiring manager? Let's me, let me look at the history of the people who are working for the high manager and working. Like we hadn't anticipated how much was hidden from the recruiter and the benefit of actually giving them a window into that. Again, we our leading clients have, are, let's just say they're more uh, experienced in what data goes to who. We have incredible protections in the data. So that whole worry about wrong people seeing the wrong stuff is not part of our world. Um, but we were really surprised how much the recruiters were actually accessing the what we call the core data. Hmm. Exactly for the point you're making, Jerry, it's like it actually made them better. And, and that's what I think. It's we need to elevate them and then hold them accountable. But if you can don't give them the data, how do you expect them to be moving the needle on diversity or engaging yeah. and challenging the hiring manager around the broader goals of the corporation? I just I just find it crazy. So I love, love the fact that you know you, your your point of of moving in that direction is there. No, yeah, and and again, like the you know the leaders are there. It's part of our role is to sort of translate from the leaders around to everybody and, and helping that become accessible and, and, and achievable for the masses. Yeah. Well, it's powerful stuff downstream, certainly. Well, Ian, let me ask you, we ask, we ask this of all of our guests uh, before we wrap up. Um, if you were going to write a book uh, about the topic today, the state of things today, what would you title that book? Uh, oh, that's a great... <laughs> Um, something like for a fistful of evidence. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a Western fan? Is that, is uh, yeah, that the reference? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a movie fan. Uh -huh. uh, and so, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like, um, I live in the, in the, the you know, on, on my positive days, it's like, this is happening. It's great. It's amazing. I, I am blessed to be around some incredible practitioners who kind of feed the things they're doing. And, and so there's this amazing pioneer community and then there's other times where you're you're talking to groups like, oh, that sounds a little bit advanced. You're like, oh no, this was this was a common practice ten years ago. You just haven't kept up with it. So I live in those. So it feels like it's got a little bit of that, um, you know, tension of a Western. Yeah. If I had sound effects, we'd do that. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and 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 it's like, you know, where could we be if we had a fistful of evidence? Because I think HR's always been under misunderstood and undervalued and underplayed in terms of how it, its effect it can have on the business like i'm just i'm passionate about analytics not for the analytics mm -hmm. but actually because how it elevates the human experience of work and, oh, and, love that. and that's and that's been the driver for me for my entire career it's why i got into this place in the first place it was to to stop the cfo making daft decisions that hurt people Whereas the evidence helps you make the right decision with more balance. So, you know, that's my whole kind of mission is if only we can actually grasp this, we can actually elevate the human part of business to, to have its rightful place. 
Yeah. And so that's why I think for a fistful of evidence, it's like, where would we be if we had a fistful of evidence? I love it. Well, Ian, who, who would you give the first signed copy to? Oh, well, that's another great question. Um, I would probably have to give it to Jack Fitzends because he's responsible for showing me that this path was possible. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, hang, hang out, Ian. We're super grateful for your time today. Much gratitude uh, for you to come in. I know you're a busy man. It's a joy to talk to you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jerry, as well. All right. We're going to put you in the green room. Don't go anywhere. All right. And in the green room, you go. Just really quick re reminder, anybody, uh, if you missed it at the beginning, cxr.org slash events, you can figure out what's going on. We actually have a list of all of the upcoming podcast shows uh, out there as well. So if you're kind of interested in maybe some of those topics, uh, you can book those. You can RSVP those so that you get a calendar reminder. We've started doing that. You can subscribe, obviously, to the show anywhere that you are listening to the podcast uh, on most of your favorite channels. Uh, and with all of that, we're just going to say goodbye to everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads and on Instagram at career X roads. We'll catch you next time.